You're now diving into the fish tank. Sitting down with Seth Living, OJ, Juice Man, this is strictly for them true fans, yeah. golf fans, number one. one, of course y'all, this ain't no ordinary sports talk, dive up in that fish tank. Welcome back to the Fish Tank, presented by iHeartRadio, right here on the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. Seth Levitt and the man with the best hands in the podcast business, OJ McDuffie, Juice. How you feeling, man? I'm feeling great, Big Seth. You love when the hands are good. I, I do, <laughs> I do. When the hands are right, and you mention them, man, I, that, that means the world to me. What know? about the best feet in the podcast uh, business? Can we? Right, man. How about that? <laughs> How about that for hands sure? Hands and feet going on. Hands today. and feet going on. I think we might be able to play some ball. That's right. Jay Feely, welcome to the Fish Tank, man. Thanks for making the time. My pleasure. Good to be on with you guys. No doubt. So, Jay, I didn't realize that you know, you're actually a, a Florida kid. I mean, you're born in Odessa, Florida. Tampa. Yeah, yeah, outside yeah. Tampa Jesuit, correct? Went to Tampa Jesuit. Yeah, we had great sports teams, uh, whether it was baseball, football, basketball, soccer, like I played as well. You know, just great, great athletics. I loved going to school there. It was awesome. Well, were you guys doing recruiting like my high school was? Were you bringing guys like <laughs> yourself in all the time? Hey, people follow success, right? They want to win. They come play for you. Success leaves footprints, right? Right, That's right, right. And multiple That's stops right. in your career always seem to lead you back to the roads, always seem to lead you back to Florida, man. But, you know, after high school, though, you went to, like, the climate that's completely different than the Florida climate. You go up to Ann Arbor, you're Michigan. What, what made you a Wolverine? What made you go all the way up there? So it's different when you're a kicker getting recruited because teams only recruit a kicker every third year. So when I was coming out my senior year, Florida, Florida State weren't recruiting a kicker. They both had guys. Miami was, and they offered me, but they were going on a probation that year. So I didn't want to go there. They were going to be on probation for four years, no bowl games. And so once I was leaving the state of Florida, you know, to me, then it was, I, it opened up the whole country. Then I didn't care. And it kind of came down to Michigan and Notre Dame for me. My, my trips were weird, though. I took Michigan, Notre Dame, Wyoming, and Delaware. Because uh, Wyoming and Delaware were going to let me play receiver as well. <laughs> wow. um, but I was, I was self-aware enough as an 18-year-old to know that uh, that a, a not fast white guy wasn't going to make it at, at receiver. <laughs> it's so funny though. I had good hands though. Right. I had good hands, Juice. Right. right. So, okay, there we go. It's the hands so again. I, I was just going to say, we just had Trent Gamble on recently, who there's only been two Wyoming players in the history of this franchise to play here for the Dolphins, and one was Trent, but he was a fast white guy. He was. Yeah. It <laughs> was the funnest trip I went on though, Wyoming was, because they gave me a snowmobile for the whole weekend and just basically <laughs> were like, have a blast. And so I didn't see any of the campus. <laughs> like I didn't see any classroom. I love it. I came home. I'm like, I'm not going to school there, but I had an awesome time. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so, so Jay, while you, while you were at Michigan, you had a couple teammates that are very familiar with the Miami Dolphins. Talk about these two quarterbacks that we all know a little bit about. Well, I assume you're, you know, that you're fr- referring to Chad Henney and, and maybe Tom Brady. I about is, Chad is as well. It's three of them. Brian Greasy, Greasy is the other one. Yeah. One of them. I mean, we had a lot. Of, I mean, we had, I had a bunch of guys that were there. You know, I played with, I think I played with five NFL quarterbacks at Michigan because Todd Collins was there uh, early with me. Jay Ramirez, who became a, a tight end in the NFL and played for a long time, was a quarterback there with us as well. You know, and, and so it, it, for a while there, there was this lineage of, of Michigan quarterbacks, that, you know, that went to the NFL that had successful careers. And that was why quarterbacks wanted to come play there. And, and I think uh, I think we're getting back to that now in Michigan. But, you know, just to watch these guys, to watch Greasy. Greasy was my host on my recruiting trip. 
when I went up there. He left me about halfway through the night, though, and took off with his girlfriend. So I still <laughs> give him a hard that's time. That's normal, though, that. recruiting trips, though. Isn't that normal, though? I mean, you know, they get the recruit <laughs> in, and then at some point they got to leave them, right? I, I guess so. You got to fend for yourself. They got to make sure that, that you can make it there. <laughs> oh, that's great. That is great. So uh, obviously very successful career at Michigan, but the draft rolls around. You're not selected, but that's not uncommon for your position. You know, and, and so that's not we have some guys here and I always like to give my partner here a hard time because I said not everybody can be the first round pick. Here we go. Not everybody can have right. that first round carpet roll. He, that red he carpet fits roll it all the time, Jay. Somehow <laughs> hey, off script. There are more. There are more seventh round pick and undrafted free agents that have 10 year plus careers in the NFL than first rounders. How about Ooh. that? There okay. you go. So, so maybe you are the guy who's marginalized. I didn't get 10 years. So not, maybe that makes sense. You're the marginalized <laughs> first round pick. Uh, my whole shtick is just blown up. Thanks a lot, Jay. So, so again, not uncommon, but you don't go the NFL route uh, right away. As Drew said, all roads eventually take you back to Florida and you're across from the sawgrass friggin' mall at the National Car Rental Center or whatever, right? The Florida Bobcats. Talk about how you mm. start your career with the Florida Bobcats and the decision to go arena ball. Well, there was no decision. I mean, it was made for <laughs> me. You know, I, I didn't get brought into camp and I didn't get, as you said, I didn't go to the combine and I was trying, I was doing workouts and, and trying to get into camp, believed I was good enough, you know, and, and it just didn't happen right away. So I, I got a job as a financial advisor. I was working for a couple of years, did my series six and seven. And, oh, wow. and then was still kicking, you know, when I could with the relay, played for the Bobcats, like you said, played for the Tampa Bay Storm for, I think, a game. Not, not long. And, and then finally got my break. Like finally was brought into camp in Atlanta and, and given the opportunity to compete for a job and, and ended up winning that job. And, and it's crazy to kind of go from sitting on your couch at home. I heard Justin Pugh say that last week. It was hilarious when they introduced him for Monday Night Football because he lives out in Arizona where I do. And he said straight off the couch. Off the couch. <laughs> off the couch. And, that's kind of, and that's kind of what I did. You know, I mean, I, you know, I was at home for two years and then finally got that opportunity. And all of a sudden you're kicking in the NFL. So, so you're saying you were kicking in the arena league, but you had a job. You had a day job and you just would go yeah. suit up. And did you have to go to practice? I guess because of the unique nature of playing kicker, did you have to go to practice? Yeah, I, like, I would go to practice, but you know, that job was a good job where it wasn't, you know, nine to five every day in an office. You were, as a financial advisor, you're meeting with clients, you're traveling around the country, you know, trying to get clients. And so it was kind of one of those jobs, and it still is, where, where you can kind of do it anywhere. And so, you know, yeah, it was just one of those kind of weird times in life where you're trying to figure out what your path is going to be and where it's going to take you and following your dream, even when, you know, those doors continue to be shut for a while. And did your coworkers know that like by day you're this and then you put on your Superman cap and you go out and you're, you're kicking field goals and, and I guess doing all kinds of arena league, it's a whole different deal. Arena league was weird coming from Michigan and then going like, I'm, I'm sitting there one day and there's tricycle races in between plays, <laughs> you know, in a game. And I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Why am I, I here? Right tricycle now? races. <laughs> Oh, that's too funny. That is that is great. You alluded to it a little bit earlier. You know, you talked about, you know, you finally got your shot in 2001 with Atlanta. You make the all-rookie team. A few years later after that, you're with the Giants, and you're a Pro Bowl performer. But then these roads, you find your way back to Florida yeah. again. Cam Cameron convinces you to come down to Florida and be a kicker for the Miami Dolphins. What, what went into your thinking when you were signing here? And secondly, where did things go wrong once, you, once we got here? <laughs> well, for me... The Miami Dolphins were my favorite team growing up. Dan Marino was my favorite player. Dan, Dan Marino's the only guy that I met in sports that I was kind of awestruck when I met him. You know, I remember playing in a golf tournament. We're sitting in a car 
going over there together and I was and it was the first time I met him and I was just like I'm sitting here with Dan freaking Marino <laughs> like this is awesome you know so for me to, to be able to come and play for the Dolphins was just a dream come true you know and that season obviously was a tough season we only won one game you know Cam Cameron gets fired after that year they bring in Bill Parcells and, and a new regime and they quickly got rid of a lot of the older guys. And, you know, and I was one of those guys, you know, and it was tough for me because I had the best year of my career. I led the league in field goal percentage, uh, you know, and then they, and then they cut me. And I, I kind of knew from, from early on that, uh, that that was probably what they were going to do. My first meeting with Tony Sperano didn't go very well. And, and, uh, and I kind of knew that they were going to move on, but it, it was hard for me because I signed a three-year deal and I had a great year and kicked well and was one of the captains and, you know, wanted to continue to do that. And it just didn't happen. And, and I remember sitting at home that first week, the Jets were playing against the Dolphins and I, I wasn't on a team and I just was shocked, you know, because here you have your best year of your career and all of a sudden you're cut and you're, you're not playing that week one. It was wow. the first time I hadn't played. It was the only game I missed in my career. And then the Jets kicker, Mike Nugent, got hurt uh, in the first quarter of that game and they called me at halftime and, and I was on a flight yeah, up to New York. They called you at halftime? Watching the game. Watch the game and they called I'm, you at I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there in plantation. <laughs> Literally, I told, I told their GM, Mike Tannum, I'm like, I, I can be there by end of halftime. Like, I'll play the second half for you. I will go out against those Dolphins. You know, the Dolphins also, it was were my a home favorite team. It, it, it was a home game. Oh it was 20 God. minutes away from my house. I'm yeah. 15 minutes away, but oh, my God. you imagine that transaction in the middle of the game? Like, you know, you got to put yeah, somebody, you got to cut somebody. You have somebody to do it by Saturday. In. It's not allowed. It's not legal. I was going to say, but, what are the you know? rules? You can't, you, can, you can't pull that guy off the couch. You can get him. That would have been the greatest thing ever if I suited up at halftime and I came out there. That man, would I'd, be have been, I'd have been hitting everybody, though. I'd have been trying to kill everybody. I bet. So let's get into that. Actually, what a great segue. Clearly, the man works in television. Yeah, yeah, So. One of the things that jumped out to me right away, and we got to know each other a little bit because you supported the work that JT did in the community and what have you, but one of the things that jumped out right away, I had never seen a kicker wear gloves. It was, I had <laughs> never seen a kicker wear gloves. And I'm like, what? The, he's wearing gloves. You know, he's, you, know you, yeah. you clearly spent some time in the weight room. You know, sun's out, gun's out. Here we go. And you That's had right. the gloves on. You, I asked around. So we, we love to do a little research for this podcast. Okay. I called some guys. I think as the stories go on, you'll start to figure out who we spoke with. But I called some guys you spent a lot of time with here with the Dolphins, and I said, and they all had different theories. But we got to hear it from the man himself. How many damn kickers wear gloves? I've never seen it before. And why did Jay Feely wear gloves every time you played? There is a there is a rational decision for wearing them, and the other real thing is you got to look good to play good, right. and feel good. You know, you know Juice so, is going to agree so with that. So that's it too. Now, I mean, that's part of it, right? One thousand percent. You got to look good. You got to feel good to go out there and play good, but. One, I like to make tackles. I like to get – I was going to be down in there with everybody. You know, I felt like that was part of my job, to go down there and be part of the coverage unit and really get in there and hit people. You know, and I wanted gloves. It helped me making those tackles, not getting fingernails ripped off, things like that. And then the second thing was fakes. You know, and, and I wanted gloves on for the fake potentials, which I ran, I don't know, six or seven of them during my career. But And I didn't want to put a pair of gloves on when I was doing the fake and have it uh, you know, alert the team that I was going to do it. You know, people give me a hard time on Twitter all the time, you know, and they're like, they're like, what, what's with the gloves? And then I just post a picture of me scoring a touchdown, holding the ball up I as I go, it. as I go over the end zone with I my gloves it. on. So, you know, that, that was the real reason though, because, you know, if you're going to run a fake and you're going to have like the touchdown I scored in Arizona, we had it in five weeks in a row before we actually called it. You have to get the right look. The defense got to line up in the right look. You know, we checked out of it four or five times. You know, we have an alert. Okay, let's call it. We get in there. It's not the right look. Check out of it. Kick the field goal. 
you know, and, and for me, like it would crush me every time. I'm like, come on, like, give me that right look. I want to run this fake. You know, it'd be so hard to go in there and, and check out of it and just kick the field goal. And we finally were able to do it and, and get in the end zone, which is fun. I love it. So the, the intel, just so you know, spoke with John, Danny and Brandon Fields. And it was a combination <laughs> of all those things. But John said that he goes, you can't just show up with the gloves one right, day. Everybody, right. you know, that's going to tip everybody yeah. off. So those guys both said hello, <laughs> but they, they, okay. They gave me some good, good intel. John Denny, consummate professional. Like when you talk about what a professional athlete is, you know, a guy who probably played a lot longer than he should have based on, you know, who he was and his athleticism and everything, you know, but a guy who came to work every day and just gave everything he had for the team and it was a consummate teammate, that's who John Denny was. Yeah, speaking of John Denny, you know, Seth, Seth said, you know, we, we talked to these guys a little bit and we asked John, like, <laughs> John, give us a, a great Jay Feely story, right? And we're thinking it might be some <laughs> amazing kick you know, your workout ethic or whatever, whatever you had going on. But no, he said every time what stuck out to him was that you're always involved in the high stakes card games that were going on in the locker room. <laughs> and he said, in fact, I, I hear that you're one hell of a Blu-ray player. What's, what's, oh, what's I up, can man? play Blu-ray with the best of them now. You ask <laughs> JT or you ask any of those guys. Now, I'll tell you a funny story, though. Joey Porter told me to come over to his house. We we're going to play Blu-ray one time. <laughs> and he said, hey, my, my family's sleeping, like coming through the garage. So I go to walk through his garage and he's got this big pit bull that's sitting right in front of that, right in front of the door. And that dog like picked his head up and looked at me cockeyed. And I was like, Oh heck no, I'm not doing that. So I went back to the front door knocked on the door and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, dude, I'm not walking through that. I'm not going to get killed by your dog. I'd rather wake the family up and get killed by the dog. That's right. right. Let me tell you about the dog. So, so this guy over here had, was it five or six? I had five. five He had five Rottweilers. (laughs) <laughs> and, and and he had this you had a kennel behind his house and juice he, he had a basketball court and he would host the team and we would play basketball every Wednesday night and every Saturday and if a call did not go away I don't want to say your rumor way. rumors if Jay, juice this is all disagreed rumor. with a call especially in the night games it was rough in the Wednesdays he'd get pissed off he'd walk in the house and every oh, why is he all mad and then all of a sudden, you'd start to hear the chains. He'd let the dogs out? He'd let the dogs out. <laughs> Come he'd on. cut the lights off on the court. We'd all just go running. And those dogs, they, I don't think he had fed them all day. He knew he wasn't going to see them on Just in case. So you had one at Joey Porter's house. This guy had right. five of them. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, hey. But, you know, those are the fun times, though, right? Playing yep. cards with guys. For me, like, I, I wanted to be a teammate. I wanted to be involved in everything. That's what I miss the most about playing. And, you know, was the locker room and hanging with the guys and being able to be with them and going to golf. You know, when you went golfing, you went with all your teammates. When you went to dinner, you went with all your teammates. That was the greatest part of being in the NFL was those relationships. So, as I said, we talked to John. We also spoke with Brandon. He did co-sign on the card games. He said you might have been a little bit of a magician there. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if he played in those games or whatever, but he said uh, he probably won't reveal his secrets. But, you know, somehow Jay was always winning, even when you didn't expect him to. So he said you might have been a little magician there. But he also spoke really kindly about, because that was his rookie year, and it was a tumultuous season, and he went through, uh, I, I, said, I guess they totally redid his mechanics, and he was a little bit of a project. And he said you were this calming force for him because you were a vet, because you had been through it all. I didn't even realize the whole story about, you know, working by day, kicking by night and everything. But that was very meaningful to him. But he said, Jay was also a tactician. You couldn't go to any stadium and he wouldn't be able to say, hey, look, in this stadium, ignore the flags on top of the goalposts, find the American flag. That's how you're going to know the wind is. You had a trick in every stadium that you walked in. 
talk about for a kicker specifically, and we hear it now in your broadcast. You know, you'll you'll give these little things, mm -hmm. these tidbits that people wouldn't know if they didn't play this very unique position. Talk about how you kind of accumulate all this information, how important it is to really know more than just what you need to do to line up and kick the ball. Seth, I was never the best, right? I, I was never the strongest, could kick it the farthest, you know, so like I had to try to be the very best I could be in every aspect of the game, you know, and, and to get the very most out of myself. So whether that was gaining knowledge or, you know, trying to figure out ways to make myself better any way that I could. And, and so that was just kind of part of it is trying to accumulate knowledge. You know, a, a guy that, you know, I watched Phil Dawson, who was a couple years older than me, not a lot, and, and, and played the whole time. He had a notebook that he kept that he would have on the sidelines. And he'd write down like notes each time he played in the stadium and things that he, because he wanted to remember that throughout his career every time he went back there. And so you, know, you just see guys that are successful and that they're doing what you want to do and you watch them and you see what makes them successful and you try to emulate as much as you can. And, and that was kind of it for me, you know, coming in, having to always prove myself, never being, you know, the guy, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to give you a big contract and we're going to trust in you. Like I had to prove myself every year of my career. Um, and I think that's part of, why I was who I was, the way I worked in the off season, the way that I went down a kickoff. Like I just knew I was a survivor. You know, I was one of those guys that like, I was going to do everything I could to make you keep me on my, on the team. And, and when I talked to young guys, I would try and grab young guys and help them understand that, you know, and, and a lot of times, you know, these guys would come into the league, OJ, you know, you saw it too. And they think, Oh, I got it made. I made it now. And you would grab them, you know, in the off season workouts and try to help them understand, like it can go away this quick. And you have to work your ass off as much as you can and force them to keep you. You know, don't give them a reason to be able to get rid of you. And I think so many times guys would give them a reason to get rid of them. I, I yeah. love that. Yeah, that's yeah. so good. So a couple things that he said, I think you'll, you'll <laughs> appreciate both of these. One, I said, okay, well, you were the holder. Do different kickers like it? And he goes, oh, so Jay, he goes, all right, if you think about it, you had to tilt the ball to 2 o'clock. He goes about two o'clock. If you you know if you understand what I'm saying, he goes and then push it a little bit forward. Jay, you know he had a big leg. He would always be in the in the ear of the coach. Once we got about around the 45s, so I could get this. I could get this. you know he was always standing by the coach, letting him know he could go out there. But he wanted it tilted a little bit forward so he could get a little bit extra on the ball. Does that sound? Did he did he have it nailed? Oh no, it? he's dead on. And and Brandon, you know, like when you get to the NFL, those holders they do such a great job, and it's almost always now the punter of understanding exactly what the guy wants. You know, when you're in high school, they just kind of put it down and, and the coach kind of has the mentality like, you you just make it, right? Whatever the, whatever the way they put it down, you make it. Then in college, it gets a little bit better, but, you know, a lot of times it's the backup quarterback or somebody. So, but when you get to the NFL, they're so precise and they want to do their job so well, you know, it, it helps you to do your job. And, and Brandon was certainly very conscientious about doing his job and doing it well. I mean, all these years yeah. later, and he was telling me exactly the angle that you wanted the ball, <laughs> which was great. But the other story he told, obviously that season, there were unfortunately way too many losses to remember. But this specific yeah. game was the Pittsburgh game, where it was just a deluge. It was like the whole thing was underwater. Oh, my gosh. He, it was the worst game I ever played. In. That's a, And he said the field was like a sponge. He said, but the juice, there were two spots, apparently, on the entire field right. that were worth a damn. You could not kick. One on either side. And so we had lined up for a field goal, but we were, I guess, five we're yards ahead. We're in the spot. Right. Like, we talked about it before the game. Right. Hey, if we're in this 10-yard section, it was from, like, the 20 to no, the 15 to the 25-yard line, right? So that would be, like, a 25 to 35-yard field goal. Like, 
we cannot kick it in that because you would you would sick in like <laughs> six inches every and we we go to line up and we're in it and i'm yelling to the sidelines like no we can't kick it here this is where we said like take a delay and that's what he said back. he said you were right? gonna get the delay a game I like... <laughs> yeah yes and i was so ticked off because we weren't like we had talked about it this is what we're gonna do and then they weren't doing it. They're like, they get in the game. They're just like, well, just kick it. Just make it. Because it's 0-0, zero, zero, right? Nobody could score in that game. Right. I think the game ended up 3-0. 3 zero. nothing. But, but they it was just the delay, it was just and the then nastiest. they went for it on fourth down. So they, they got yeah. you to where you wanted to be, and then they decided to go for it. And, it, and then they decided to go for it. I, I was very hot on the side. <laughs> <at> that <point. laughs> oh, that's so good. Oh, man. <laughs> all kidding aside, though, Jay, man, as, as awful as this season was, you know, you talked about it a little bit yourself. It's your most productive year. Perfect on extra points. Best percentage field goals for Dolphins in Dolphin history. And like we talked about, they didn't bring you back. Tell us a little bit more about the meeting. You said it went bad with, with Coach Sperano. I mean, that had to be well, part of the reason, right? Obviously, you know, he, he's passed away. I certainly don't want to say anything right. negative about the man. And it, it just was, they had a different philosophy. And it started with Parcells. And, you know, obviously they didn't, they didn't want me to be, I don't think they liked that I did media. I don't think that they liked that, you know, I was a captain, you know, all that kind of stuff at the kicking position. And so I think that was just a decision that, that really Bill Parcells made. And, you know, teams, I, I think in retrospect, you learn a lot more, right, than when you're a player in the moment. And, and you, you learn to just kind of understand it. And, and you have to have a philosophy. You have to have a philosophy of where you want to spend money and who you want to be the leaders on your team. And, you know, I was a different kicker than a lot of kickers. You know, I didn't just go stand in a corner and not say a word. Like I was, you know, a vocal captain and I was going to do media and I was going to, you know, try to help myself for my career afterwards, which is why for the last 10 years I've been doing TV. And, and so, and they didn't, they didn't like that. And so that's just part of, it's part of the business, you know, and, and at the time, as you're going through it, you know, you're, you're very hurt and your family has to move. And, and those are hard things, you know, when you take your kids and they're on teams like my son at the time, which was maybe the greatest flag football team of all time, because it was my son, Jace, who's now at Colorado. It was Jason Taylor's two boys who are both playing in college right now, uh, Mason and Isaiah. It was uh, Ricky Williams' son, Prince, <laughs> and, and my buddy, uh, Webby whose son Cade is playing at Alabama right now. Like that was the core of our, uh, of our flag football team. Like those five dudes on defense, like we didn't give up a point all year. <laughs> like it was so much fun watching them play, you know, but they have friends and, and they have relationships and they're in school. And all of a sudden you're like, gosh, I got cut. Like we got to move, you know? And, and it's tough when you're moving around, moving your family around a lot. And, you know, but, but when your career is done, you look back and you, you kind of understand it more and you have more, more perspective. Sounds like you guys had a Tampa Jesuit team going on there, man. A lot of recruiting. Yeah, exactly. Like, like we were dominant in <laughs> football. <laughs> they were stacked, man. God, think about that roster. So, so as you, you know, again, you just teed me up perfectly here. But 2014, you play your last game and you transition into broadcasting. And that's not uncommon for, for athletes to do that. And clearly you had a vision while you were playing. But it isn't necessarily common for people at your position. There aren't a ton yeah. of kickers that are broadcasting games. So what, was that ever in your mind that there, there was an obstacle because of the position you played? Is that why you tried to do things while you played? Uh, just talk about that whole process. Seth, I, I didn't really picture myself calling games. I thought I would do TV, and I had done a lot of ESPN. I had done a lot of First Take and some of their shows. It was actually cold pizza back in the day when I started. Right. And, and so that's kind of the avenue I thought I would go down, maybe even get into politics and do some political commentary. I had done some stuff with, with different channels. But 
I got a call from CBS when I, my last year when I was still playing and, and they asked me if I had, was interested in doing games at all. And I said, you know, like I hadn't really thought about it. And so they said, you want to try a game? And so I did one game. It was BYU at Middle Tennessee State. I had no idea what I was doing. They don't really sit down and tell you what to do prior to doing the game. And so I did this game and I didn't know if I sucked or if I was good. Like I finished the game and you're just like, I have no idea. It's such a subjective job. Right. You know, there's no objective measures to be able to look at and say, oh, yeah, I did a real. It's not like kicking a field goal. Like, I know if I kick it between the uprights, right? It's, it's very black and white. And so, you know, at the end, they said, listen, if you want to do games next year and you're going to be done, you know, we would hire you. And, and so that kind of made it easy for me to, like, say, okay, I think I'm done. Because I was really at the end, I, I was kind of like teeing off with a three iron. Like, I didn't have a driver anymore, mm. you know? <laughs> and, right. and I would hit a ball and think on kickoff, like, oh, I hit that one good. It would go to, like, the goal lines. So, <laughs> you know, I kind of knew, like, my time was up. And, and, uh, and that made it kind of easy because I think the thing you fear most when you're done playing is that you don't have this new challenge. Like, that, that area of your life is done. And what am I going to do? And I don't want to sit at home all day and just go play golf all the time. And I want, I want something that I want to go after. And so – to do games, and, and the only other kicker who had ever done games for the NFL up in the booth, you know, was Pat Summerall. And, and then Pat became the legendary play-by-play guy, but he started as an analyst. And so I kind of liked that challenge. Like, okay, I can do this. I'm going to prove that I'm good enough. I'm going to prove that I know the game well enough, and I'm going to learn it even more to be able to go out there and to call these games and to do a good job. And, you know, it's been fun. And it been fun for me to kind of break down that wall and that barrier and to do it you know, for the last nine years and to keep doing it now. Okay, Jay, we're going we're gonna to take off your broadcasting hat real quick, and we're going to put that dad hat back on. You mentioned this a little bit the earlier. The what hat? The dad, your dad hat. The dad hat, your okay, dad yeah, hat. there we go. You mentioned your son, Jace, <laughs> earlier, and he's at the University of Colorado. Of course, like right now, Colorado's been the hot topic of every college football thing with Deion Sanders yeah. right there. But we want to get your perspective on this whole thing. How was it being – a part of this whole situation where your son is being coached by Coach Prime. It goes back to broadcasting, though, Jay, really, because Dion and I did games together about six years ago. We did Thursday Night Football for a wow. season. Wow. I, I and, and so every that. Thursday we were together doing a game. He was doing, uh, you know, before the game and at halftime, pregame at halftime, and I was doing the game. And so we'd be in the green room talking, and he was coaching high school football at the time, coaching his sons. You know, so I would always ask, like, okay, who you got? Uh, how, you know, are they good? He'd give me the breakdown. He'd be asking me about Jace. And I actually have a video that I posted of Dion sending Jace a message when he was a freshman in high school, you know, talking about him playing linebacker as well as kicker and how he needed him to come play for him and, you know, kind of joking with him and then wow. just telling him good luck and, and all that stuff. And so when he got the Colorado job and Jace wanted to transfer from Arizona State because Herm had gotten fired, uh, I, I called him up immediately. I said, listen, if you need a kicker, like Jace wants, Jace will come play for you. And, and it happened pretty quick. And, and it's been a crazy That's journey wild. for Jace, you know, and just all the, the focus and the, the chaos that's there on the sidelines, all the celebrities and, you know, <laughs> trying as a dad, but also as a football guy to be like, okay, here's how, you, here's how you stay mentally focused. You can't get caught up in, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, you have to stay. And I, I told, first thing I did was like, turn all your mentions off on all your social media. Like, do not hear anything all year long, positive or negative. Like, it's not going to help you to achieve your goals. You know, and so trying to just help him navigate this whole journey and teach him from maybe the mistakes that I made, lessons that I learned, and just kind of be there, you know, as someone who understands the game and understands those dynamics and just kind of help him walk through this journey together. So it's been fun. Obviously, I know the position so I can help him 
you know, from a technical standpoint as well. But I think more than anything, it's really just helping them mentally and, and know how, how to handle the ups and downs of the kicking position. And, and when you miss a kick, how do you handle that? And what do you do? And, you know, and, and just being there for him, you know, in those both in the highs and the lows. And so it's been fun. He, he and I are best friends. Like we go on trips every year, just the two of us together. We go all over. Last year we went to Ireland playing golf and, and, uh, and then jumped over to Iceland. Like one night where I was like, he was like, yeah, we've been here like five days. I'm like, you want to go to Iceland tomorrow then instead? He's like, yeah. So we like <laughs> hopped on a flight, went to Iceland, two days in Iceland, had a blast there and then came back. But, you know, I just, I just love the kid. We have so much fun together. You know, I know this, Jay, that most kickers are, are damn good golfers, man. So who's a better golfer, you or your son, Jace? So, you know, and I can play. If you talk to those guys, they probably told you that too, Seth. But uh, he beat me for the first time in his life last year. Now, oh, this wow. is a guy, he played in high school. He, he was in the state championship in high school, but he couldn't beat me. You know, I would find a way to, like, birdie the last two holes to beat him all the time. <laughs> and, and in June, I went out to Colorado, and he was, like, two up on me after – after the the first nine and I shot four under on the back nine and he shot three under and beat me by one oh, and he birdied the, he birdied the 17th and 18th hole to beat me so he was, fired he was pretty up, happy about that yeah he was fired up oh that's good <laughs> you hear these scores big stuff I, I I'm hearing you know what he's talking right yeah here? I, I kickers if, if I play bogey <laughs> golf I'm happy man right. which doesn't happen I don't play I just put on <laughs> golf tournaments for that very reason so and we don't even do that anymore so, well, Jay, I know you're working today. We're not going to hold you much longer. And I also know that you have capped your share of two-minute drills and made a lot of teams happy in the process. But we're going to run you through our two-minute drill. We end every episode right. with the fish tank two-minute drill. I would say normally guys feel like it's a high-pressure situation, but, you know, this is old hat for you. You're not worried about this. We're going to throw some fast-paced questions. As long as OJ makes the catch, I'm going to make the kick. We're good. Bad. Well, and I think I'm in pretty good shape yeah. as I started the show off here. I think you I'm in really good shape. It. You just got to direct it. Throw the right passes. Get I love it. Field, so. I love it. All right, so we got two minutes. You can't see it, but Kyle's got two minutes on the clock. Juice, let's go ahead and let's do this thing. All right. Bigger career accomplishment. Making the Pro Bowl in 2005 or having a Saturday Night Live skit made about you <laughs> also in 2005? Well, I'm going to say the Pro Bowl because that was a positive. Saturday Night Live skit, they were making fun of me. <laughs> but when you when you look back at it, you know, not a lot of people have their own Saturday Night That's Live right. That's, That's right. right. I, I like that for sure. All right. So recently you talked about social media. You tweeted, X posted, whatever we call it, that uh, you can't wait to see the Miami Dolphins on Hard Knocks. So in 10 yep. words or less, what makes the Miami Dolphins team interesting? I can't do 10 words or less because I wanted to say this. Like, I love Mike McDaniel. I, I mean, just he is an offensive genius. He's so creative. But more than anything, this guy knew from day one that Tua was his guy. And he, he went about remaking Tua, not physically, but emotionally first. And he did an unbelievable job. We had a great production meeting with one time where he told us the whole story about the 700 plays that, that he made up. And not only to convince both the coaching staff and the organization, but Tua himself that he was good enough. And Tua told us, like, at one point with Brian Flores, like, he felt like, you know, he asked himself, do I suck? You know, and, and what Mike did was build the belief in himself that he was good enough. And you're seeing that. And I give Mike so much credit for seeing the skill in Tua and then to, to help him believe in himself again. I think he did an unbelievable job. Agreed. I'm going to call timeout. Time so we got one play left. To get us in position for a big kick. Go ahead, Juice. We've got two questions. Okay. What's more difficult, executing a successful onside kick or making a field goal in arena football? <laughs> I'm going to say the onside kick because, I mean, you look at them now, it's basically 
it's almost a given that you're not going to get right, it. I mean, right. you, you can hit the best kick and you still don't get it. Teams do such a great job of executing and not allowing you to get it. So the best onside kick is a surprise onside. Don't wait until the end. Like, do it early on when you when you catch them and you have the best chance of getting it. That's why you got the gloves on, too, so you can recover that, right? There you go. <laughs> and we got five or six in his career that he recovered. Okay, last question. We're bringing Feely on the field. we got to nail this thing. What non-kicking member, non-kicking member of the 2007 Miami Dolphins roster would you have trusted the most to make a winning kick if you couldn't go out there yourself and do it? I'm going to go with John Denny. John uh, Denny. If it wasn't Brandon Field, most of the time it would have been the, the punter. I think John Denny would have had the best opportunity to go in there. Definitely not Jason Taylor. Definitely <laughs> not Zach Thomas. They couldn't kick a ball. But John Denny, I think, could have gone in there and done it. That is your two-minute drill right through the uprights. He is Jay Feely. I know you're working today, man, but you made time for us. It was great to reconnect with you, and, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, great stuff. Oh, everything you guys do, Seth, down there. OJ, great to see you, buddy. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for diving in, Jay. Absolutely. You're now diving into the fish tank. Just like Drew said, thanks for diving into the fish tank presented by iHeartRadio. Be sure to follow us on whatever streaming platform you're using, and don't be afraid to rate the show or leave us a comment. We love your feedback. And remember, you can find us as well as Drive Time with Travis Wingfield and all of our international partners on MiamiDolphins.com. Dolphins.com.